And if you can, if you have a Bible, if you could open it to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is firmly bound together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security in your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lee. Good morning, everyone. I am Murray, and uh, it's my privilege to uh, open God's word with you from the psalm that Lee has just read, and I'd love you to keep your Bible open there if you can. It's Psalm 122. Uh, my granddad was a farmer uh, in New Zealand. He was a rough, tough kind of a bloke. He was short. You think I'm short. He was really short, uh, short and round. He actually described himself as being five foot by five foot. And it was pretty, pretty close to reality. Uh, and as a farmer, he just, he loved the farm and he loved his cows. I remember him kissing cows on the nose as he milked them. He just loved his, loved his farm. And he seldom left the farm. But I do remember when we used to go and visit him, one of the, one of the big events every few weeks was going to town. And he would get all dressed up, suit and tie. It was the funniest looking thing in a suit and tie. But he'd get all dressed up to go to town, nice hat on. Uh, just, just going into town of the day, a bit of shopping, maybe groceries, new pair of gumboots, whatever. Uh, but it was a big deal going to town. He'd trade his tractor for his great big six-cylinder rambler and down he'd go, down the road, off to town. Town actually wasn't very big, it wasn't very impressive, but it was a big deal going. And you know, you actually have some of those dynamics in this psalm. Pilgrims going to town. Uh, many of these pilgrims were farmers. Ancient Israel was a, an agricultural nation. And three times a year they would leave the farm and thousands, hundreds of thousands perhaps, pilgrims would head to town. Not just any town, they would head to Jerusalem, the spiritual and civic capital of the nation. They wouldn't go by car, they would go on foot or by donkey. Uh, they weren't going on a shopping trip. They were going to a religious festival to like a, a nationwide convention in order to praise and worship God. And it was a big deal going. You know how when you go on a, um, a long road trip, uh, if you've got little kids, you've got to pass the time, you end up playing I Spy, um, you end up 
listening to audio books. If you're really desperate, you start singing songs. And that's what these pilgrims did as they went to town, as they went to Jerusalem. They sang. And you'll notice that Psalm 122 is called a, a song of ascents. It's one of the songs that they sang as pilgrims went up to Jerusalem to praise and worship God. So you've got to kind of imagine the, um, the boombox on the back of the donkey pumping as they sing songs and pastime heading up to Jerusalem. Well, it was all a big deal for them, but you might say, so what? Uh, we're not farmers. It's not a big deal to go to town. We're not part of ancient Israel. We don't go to Jerusalem. We don't have nationwide religious festivals. There are enormous historical gaps between this psalm and our experience. But please don't sign out of the psalm because of those gaps. I think the psalm gives us a vivid, if somewhat cryptic, picture of what the significance of church is and the significance of being part of the people of God and the significance of being part of the worship of God. Sure, some massive changes have taken place between the time of the psalm and now, massive changes because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And actually, the coming of Jesus has ramped up what we see in this psalm. The attitudes that we see here are to be experienced by us all the more because of what's happened between when this psalm was written and now. And I think the attitude of the psalm and of the psalmist can be summarized in, in three words. Glad, impressed, committed. And I want us to think about those three words as, as capturing so much of what should actually be in our heads and our hearts as we come together before God. Let's look at those words. First of all, glad. Uh, you notice what it says there in verse 1? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Um, my modern translation of verse 1, I was stoked when my mate said, hey, let's go to church. Uh, glad is a kind of old-fashioned word, isn't it? Though I still use that old-fashioned word quite a bit. Um, oh, I'm just so glad to see you. Uh, glad you liked it. I'm so glad we went. Maybe you still use the word glad sometimes. I'm glad if you do. This pilgrim was glad that his mates said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to Jerusalem. The house of the Lord is the temple of the living God. It was the place where God in his, his kindness met with his people. 
It was the place where he showed them something of his glory and his majesty, and he invited them to meet with him there so that they would worship him and honor him and experience his grace and his kindness and his love. That temple, that house of the Lord was in Jerusalem, which is also called the city of God, and it's called Mount Zion. It was the place God had chosen to meet with his people. It was the spiritual capital of the nation as well as the civic capital of Israel. But you know, Jerusalem and the temple were never meant to be the ultimate meeting place with God. They were really just like signposts pointing forward to a more ultimate meeting with God. And in the New Testament, we discover what that meeting place is. The New Testament declares that Jesus is the temple of the living God. Jesus is the one in whom now the the glory and the grace of God is revealed. Jesus is the one in whom we meet with God. We don't meet in a city, at a place, in a building. We meet with God in a person, in Jesus Christ who loved us and gave his life for us so that we could, by his blood, come into his presence and know God and meet with God. And then the the New Testament actually pushes it further than that. It not only says that Jesus is the temple, the meeting place with God, but it says that we who belong to Jesus are a part of him. And as part of him, we become the temple of God. The New Testament calls the church the temple of God. The the church, the gathering of God's people, is where God meets with us and shows us his grace and his glory. Jesus is the temple. The church is the temple. But again, in a way, they only point further forward. They're signposts again. Because one day, there will be a new Jerusalem. One day there'll be a new city of God. One day there'll be a new meeting place with God. The the Bible's trajectory is toward an eternity in the presence of God. And the Bible calls heaven, it calls our eternal home, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, an eternal dwelling place with God. So if, if we think, Think about the psalm, we can see how it gets ramped up through the rest of the Bible. We have more reason than ever to be glad about meeting with God. But glad might not be how you always feel about church and Worship and coming here on a Sunday morning. If we're honest, sometimes we just don't really want to be here. Most people living in Geelong didn't wake up this morning thinking, yes, glad I can go to church today. And even those of us who did come, uh, sometimes eh, it just seems pretty ordinary. Maybe boring. Uh, Sometimes we come and we're pretty signed out. 
sometimes we're glad when it's over. But I want to say there's good reason for us to be glad about church and about worship and about meeting with God and his people. On Friday morning, I um, actually just before I started to prepare this message, I just read a couple of articles uh, on the online news and they, they both just made me feel defiled and sick inside. I didn't finish either article. They were both about abusive situations. So often our world is ugly and grievous. So often my life is like that too. And God, who is holy and pure and just and gracious, invites us to come aside from the world and meet with him. He wants us to hear his word, which is a way better word than you'll read in the newspaper. He wants us to meet with other people who've been saved by his grace so that we can encourage each other on. He wants us to sing. How crazy is that? Like, where do people sing in public with a bunch of other people? It's a weird Christian thing. But God wants us to sing because he's a God to be praised and to be sung about. Not just in the shower, but here with other people who love God. Friends, a, a church service that's full of God, full of the Bible, full of Jesus, full of the gospel, is one of the most wholesome places you can go. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we can start the week this way. I'm glad we can meet in this hall, which is not exactly an amazing temple. It's not a temple. It's just a place to meet. But I'm glad we can meet here as God's people and know that God is with us. I'm glad we're in a country where we're free to do this. And I'm glad I'm not doing Christian life alone, but I'm doing it with you guys. And that is so good. I'm also glad that this experience this morning is not the final deal. It's only a little pointer, it's a little taster of something way better when eventually we enter a new Jerusalem, a new city of God, and we will experience worship and fellowship and love and delight in God unlike we have ever experienced in this world. There's reason to be glad, isn't there? And, you know, I think if we are glad, there'll be evidence of our gladness. 
Uh, let me mention just a couple of evidences, I think, of gladness. One is we'll prioritize it. We'll actually prioritize meeting with God. We'll prioritize being here. And bless you, you, you did so this morning. Uh, it is a good thing to do, to prioritize this. There's a bunch of other places we could be. But it's good to prioritize this. And it's good to safeguard Sundays so that we can be here together. And then not only will we prioritize it, but I think we'll maximize it. We'll, we'll maximize rather than minimize our time together. We'll make the most of, of being able to engage with others and have friendship and fellowship and chat and encourage. And Maybe we'll, we'll get here in sufficient time to welcome visitors and hang around afterwards and catch up with people and, and we'll sing <laughs> with all our heart. And you don't have to have a good voice. The Bible says, another psalm says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And some of you are good at doing that. Um, make a noise, sing. When, when someone's praying, pray with them. When, when we're hearing the word, let's, let's listen to what God wants to say to us. We'll, we'll prioritize it and we'll maximize it because we're glad to be here. I was glad when my friend said to me, Let's go to church. I was glad when my family said to me this morning, okay, let's go to church. That's the first word, glad. Second word, impressed. I think we'll only be glad we're here when we're impressed. But we've got to think carefully about that. Some things uh, in our world are just impressive, aren't they? I remember the first time I went to London I just found it such an impressive city. The, the history, the, the culture, the grandeur, the, the architecture. It, it's just a, a very impressive city compared with the town that my granddad used to go to. Actually, I see, some, uh, see a, a mate here this morning who's from that town. He used to go to Palmerston North, the poor man. Uh, London, what an impressive city. Uh, some people are impressive. I can think of one, one guy I know. And he, he's kind of impressive. I always think that when I've been with him. He's highly educated. He's very smart. He's quite good looking. He's always well dressed. He's very capable. He, he's just nice. And he gets a lot done. And when I, when I meet with him, I'm kind of impressed by who he is and what he's like. Every guy in the church at the moment is thinking, oh, I think he's talking about me. <laughs> no, he's not here. <laughs> there are impressive people out there, impressive places, impressive movies, impressive speeches. But nothing impressed this pilgrim more than the city of Jerusalem. Verses 3 to 5 of the psalm, is a little bit of a rant about Jerusalem. Just, just have a look at his rant. Jerusalem. Oh, man, Jerusalem. Built as a city that's bound firmly together. Some translations say closely compacted, which I don't think means urban congestion, uh, but rather he's just admiring it. It's, it's wonderfully designed, magnificent buildings. It's, it's united and well-constructed to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the, the place where the 12 tribes of Israel 
would go. And although those tribes were divisions and distinctions amongst the people of Israel, and sometimes they were at war with each other, together they would go. It's a place of unity, a beautiful place, but a place of unity gathered together. And look at the next bit, to give Thanks to the name of the Lord. It's a place of worship and praise. That's why they went. That's why the pilgrims were going up there. And then it says, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And, and what he's saying in those words is he's celebrating that it's, it's the place of justice and it's the place of government where the Davidic king would rule and govern God's people. Jerusalem was an impressive place to be. But what about us? We meet here at the RTC. It's scarcely impressive, if I might say that myself. We value the worldwide church of Jesus Christ. And yet the worldwide church of Jesus is so often marred by sin and hypocrisy and division. We've seen that glad gets dialed up. But maybe you have a sense that impressive gets dialed down as we move along. But here's, here's the thing, and I would love you to really think about this. If we focus on what church is like, we'll struggle to be impressed. But if we focus on what church is, we can't help but be impressed. I'll tease that out. Think about your family for a moment. What's your family like? <laughs> Maybe you've got a grumpy old grandpa and a weird aunt and a whole bunch of hyperactive, snotty-nosed kids. What's your family like? Possibly pretty, pretty mad half the time. But what is Family. Family is this unique bond of people who share flesh and blood. Family is this, this cluster of people who you are deeply connected to and you love them even when they drive you crazy. Family is special, isn't it? It breaks our heart when it goes wrong and it gives us joy when it goes well. What your family is like and what your family is are two different things. And it's the same with church. What church is like is one thing. What church is, is another. Church is the meeting of God with his people through Jesus. Church here is part of a worldwide family of God across the ages and across the nations. 
Church is where God meets with us to nourish us and feed us and bless us. Church is the beginning of something that will last for all eternity and will become greater and more glorious when Jesus comes again. There's an amazing description of church in Hebrews chapter 12. You might like to flick there or you could just listen to, uh, to, to what happens there. In Hebrews 12 at verse 18, the writer contrasts the experience of Old Testament people meeting with God and New Testament people. And it says in verse 18, you've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. He's saying, you've not come to Mount Sinai where God met with the Old Testament people and it was terrifying and overwhelming. He says, no, verse 22, you have come, he says, to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We've not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion in heaven, he's saying. And then he mentions what's there to uh, innumerable angels, to the assembly of those who've been born again, to God and to Jesus, our mediator. What he's saying is when, when we're saved, we come into the church of God and the church of God meets around Jesus and Jesus is in heaven. He ascended. And so there is actually right now an eternal worship service going on in heaven Angels, millions of people, Jesus, God, glorified and worshipped. And our little meeting here is an outpost of the eternal heavenly worship service. What, what happens here might look pretty small and pretty ordinary, but we are actually caught up here in something massive. And so, here's the thing. Don't focus so much on what church is like. Focus on what church is. An outpost of the universal, eternal, worldwide, cosmic worship of God. And as God meets with us here, in this little place with these few believers, we're caught up into something far bigger than what we see here. And that's true whether we sing your favorite songs or not. It's true whether the data projector works or not. By a miracle of God's grace, it has worked this morning. It's true whether many people come or not. It's true whether the sermon was great or not. Despite the size and the songs and the people and the building and the vibe, we can value church, not because of what it's like, but because of what it is. The temple of the living God pointing forward to an eternal worship of God in glory. And if you're not impressed by church now, 
I can guarantee you will be impressed when Jesus comes again. Glad, impressed, and that leads to the the last attitude that the psalmist helps stir in our hearts. Committed. Committed. There are two things the psalmist wants us to be committed to. You see it in the last section of the psalm. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. And for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Here's the twofold commitment. To pray for the church and to seek its good. Now I'm sure there are many good things that you are already committed to. Maybe you're committed to work, committed to learning an instrument, committed to your family, committed to study, committed to helping people in need. There are many good things people commit to. But there are two distinct commitments made by God's people. One is this commitment to pray for the church. You'll notice several times it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the gathering of God's people, the place of God. And that word peace is a fairly well-known Hebrew word, shalom. Pray for the shalom. Actually, that word shalom is embedded in the name Jerusalem. Jeru shalom, foundation of peace. And the word peace is, is, is a big word in the Old Testament. The word shalom is a big word. It means flourishing, health, prosperity, rich well-being. Pray for the church to thrive. Pray for the church to flourish. And we should pray that for the church everywhere, not just here in South Barwon, this little outpost of God's worldwide cosmic eternal work. Let's pray big prayers for the church of God everywhere. Pray for the persecuted church, where our own brothers and sisters, our own family in Jesus, suffer for naming the name of Jesus. Pray for the growth and the spread of the church. Pray for the planting of many new churches. Pray for gospel workers. We need hundreds and hundreds more gospel workers. Pray for revival. Pray that God would send his Holy Spirit upon us and revive us and awaken us. Pray that the church might be faithful and biblical, God-honoring. Pray big prayers for the church. Can I encourage you to do that? As you go through the week and sometimes you have times of prayer, 
pray for the church of Jesus Christ and the great work of God in this world through the church. And as well as um, committing to prayer, the other thing right in the last line of the psalm is, I will seek your good. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, it says, I'll seek your good. It's a great little phrase, isn't it? Seek the good of the church. What does that mean? I think it, I think it simply means seek to be a contributor, not just a passive consumer. Seek to build up the church, not tear it down. Seek to use your gifts to encourage and help and support and strengthen other people. Seek to use your time and your energy and your money to see the church flourish. You might seek the good of the church through some formal area of ministry. So many of you serve in ministries in this church. But we can also seek the good of the church outside of a ministry role as such. As We love other people and pray for other people and show hospitality and help others. And as we support gospel work and mission work, seek the good of the church. And actually... It's not real hard to be committed to the church if you're glad about church and impressed by what it really is. It's a package deal, isn't it? Glad and impressed and committed. Can you see how the psalm maps really a wonderful attitude for us to have toward God and the people of God and the worship of God and the church of God. Remember my old granddad? He got dressed up to go to town. And actually when I was a boy, we got dressed up to go to church. Literally, Sunday best. I had to polish my shoes on Saturday night to be ready for church the next day. It was actually an, an external action to say church and worship and Sunday matters. Now, we don't have to get dressed up to come to church. But we do need that attitude that says, this is special. We, we have to perhaps dress our heart attitudes. Let's clothe ourselves with a glad heart. Will you do that? Will you clothe yourself with a glad heart? Put on gladness on Sunday morning. Glad that you're going to church. Glad that you're meeting with God. Glad you can start the week this way. Glad before kids club. Glad before growth group. Glad before music practice. Glad that you're part of the church of Jesus. And let's put on these biblical glasses that help us see not, not so much what church is like, but what church is. 
Let's see church for what it really is and be impressed by what God is doing around this globe and for all eternity. And then let's get down on our knees and pray for church and roll up our sleeves and work for church as we're committed to God's great project on earth. Glad? Impressed, committed. Shall we pray? Uh, Lord God, we are glad that we've been reminded through your word what church and worship and gathering like this is really all about. We thank you so much for drawing us in and inviting us to meet with you. We thank you for the gospel and the way that that has ramped up these experiences more than ever. We thank you that we're caught up into something worldwide and eternal. And so we pray that you would work in our hearts by your spirit, gladness, and a real prizing and valuing of the church as we see how impressive it really is. And we pray that each one of us might be freshly committed to seek the good of your church. We ask all this for the glory of your name through Jesus. Amen.